Hello everyone, I am Ayush Kirk, a student at GIS Smart Campus. To say I am a tech enthusiast would be an understatement. In fact, I eat, drink and sleep technology. I have won a number of hackathons and one of my biggest aspirations in life is to build my own tech firm to solve worldwide problems. But until then, I want to be part of this world of technology and spread the word to as many aspirants and laymen as possible. So allow me to welcome you all to my podcast, Tech Titans, a place where we discuss different tech-related topics and how old and new technologies are helping change the face of the world. Since I was a child, I've loved every kind of computer and video games. I cannot forget the countless hours I've spent helping Super Mario save the princess or defusing bombs in Counter-Strike. It kept me engaged for hours and needless to say, was my first brush with technology. But now, games are no longer just a form of entertainment. With the advent of technology, gamification is on the rise. A superb phenomena which uses core value of games in different ways to play, teach, learn, entertain, operate, and many other things. Now, the core aspects of gaming are being employed in varied fields from protein research to education making these tasks as fun as games themselves. Some entrepreneurial minds have taken these concepts to new heights of fun with benefits. And I'm going to talk to one such creator who is making revolutionary progress in the field. Please welcome Matthew Dunstan, a Cambridge researcher by day and game designer by night. Today, we are going to discuss the wondrous concept of gamification and how it is changing the technological sphere. Welcome to the show, Matthew. Please tell our listeners a bit about yourself. Thanks very much for having me, Ayush. Very pleasure, pleasure to be on. Yeah, so my name is Matthew Dunstan. I'm a, a researcher at the University of Cambridge. I, I, I had, did my PhD in Cambridge, although I'm originally Australian uh, and, and, and grew up there. And yeah, so my, my research is in materials chemistry. Uh, I work in a lab that develops new materials for, for batteries, for carbon capture, for fuel cells. Uh, for, for these kind of technologies and, and then tries to understand how they function. And also uh, that started around the time I was doing my PhD, I also got into designing games, uh, specifically tabletop games, so, so analog uh, physical games. Uh, but that's also branched out over the years to, to both commercial games, uh, to educational games, to experiences like escape rooms, uh, and uh, even some digital games. I'm working on an app now. Uh, yeah, so that, that's, that's basically me. Fantastic. I am in good company. I just love this whole dynamic of yours, research, gamification, game development. It is good to have you on the show. And I cannot tell you how happy I am to have you as my first ever guest. Let's talk about games. What, according to you, are the best games designed so far? And how have they helped change the face of gaming? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think I think oh, this is a it's a difficult question because uh, I mean, the, the, I mean, games are such a broad field. I mean, in some ways, you know, one, one answer to that question is, is looking at games such as uh, Mandala or, or chess, these sort of more ancient games. I mean, the fact of, of anything, I mean, a game or, or any other kind of cultural artifact, you know, existing and, and not only existing, but persisting for thousands of years. There aren't many things that have lasted so long that have such a place in, in a cultural way. The, the thing that we could play, uh, you know, Mandala the same way it was played, you know, over 3,000, 4,000 years ago. 
I mean, that, that's quite a unique kind of property of games. And so in some ways, I think that's one example of, of the best kind of games. I mean, on the other hand, I think it's hard to say. I mean, what, one thing I think of is something like Pokemon Go. I think of the recent things, it was, I think it showed what is possible with, with the emergence of new technology um, from Niantic, from, from some Google mapping kind of technology and how that can create a phenomenon that, that kind of escapes the, the world that games are normally confined to. You know, we're, I think we're both in that world. We're both the uh, uh, aficionados of games, but, but I think Pokemon Go kind of broke out of that world and, and became sort of, you know, part of the public consciousness. Uh, so in another way, I think, I think that, but I, to be honest, I, I think they're, I, I prefer to think of what are, what are great games rather than what are the best games, because I think for different purposes, there are, there are great games. I agree. Every game like serves the purpose it had been made for. Chess, I guess, is one of the one of the longest lasting game, and it's still like uh, the discussion topic o- over many for many people every day, and it's being played as a competitive sports nowadays as well. So that's really fascinating. And Pokemon Go as well, I think it really showed us what we could achieve with gaming and this uh, whole mixing of technology games such a traditional concept of taking a, a, a television show, which is loved by all, taking a game franchise and mixing new technology to coming up with, with such a mind-blowing game. It, yeah, it was... and not just, it's not just a game, it's an experience. I mean, I'm not sure if, if you experienced it in, in India, but when I, it was, I was in England at the time, and, and yeah, you, you would be walking around at 10 o'clock in the evening, and there would be huge groups of people out. You know, this was in the kind of like the week that was released when it was sort of the peak thing. But, you know, there's like, forget about games like that. There's, there haven't been experiences like that, really. Uh, so, yeah, I think that was the power of what they created. So uh, 10 years ago, flight simulators were state-of-the-art simulations used to, uh, used to train airs for pilots. But now even I can install and run flight simulators of almost the same potential. So, uh, Matthew, how do you think technologies like artificial intelligence, virtual reality, and augmented reality will affect uh, science, research, and education in the near future? And uh, do you think games can act as a catalyst to the process? Just like we talked about, Pokemon made use of augmented reality uh, to power power the whole game. Do you think we can bring the same thing to science, research, and education? And maybe games can act as a way to do so? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's again, it's a, it's a, it's a big question because you know when you think about the science and education, there's such huge fields. But I think the thing is that games are often the innovators in the in in, impl- in kind of developing and in using these new technologies. Certainly, most of the um, virtual reality, uh, or at least the kind of most developed virtual reality, is in the gaming space. If you look at things like Oculus Rift. Uh, augmented reality, as you said, with Pokemon Go and, and, and other things, has also found its place. I mean, and and when we're talking about augmented reality, I mean that you know it's not just things. You know, augmented reality in a way is quite old in, in games. Um, there was a an old uh, game in the UK called Perplexity, uh, which I'd encourage you to look up. It was from the early two thousands. It was a trading card game, but there were puzzles. And these puzzles played into a, a broader world. And actually, there was, a, there was an actual physical prize hidden somewhere in the UK that the cards would point to. And so that was an idea, I mean, of augmented reality or, you know, shared kind of social reality uh, within a game space. 
So I think games are often the forefront of, of these of pushing technologies and developing them, and then they get spread into other fields, into science and, and education. Um, and, and we're seeing that uh, already. Um, for example, actually, my, my fiance runs a film museum here in the Czech Republic, and they're already employing augmented reality now to essentially animate exhibit exhibitions um, to draw people's attention to certain aspects. Or if you have a machine such as a, a film camera, like augmented reality lets you actually look inside that machine and actually see how it functions uh, and, and you know, see the parts moving uh, as you sort of look around and change your head. And, and that's incredibly powerful. But of course, that that's built on you know, earlier advances in, in technology. So I think, I think these technologies, well, I mean, AI is a little bit separate, I would say. Um, it's such a broad, I mean, artificial intelligence is such a broad topic or, and term really. Uh, obviously machine learning is incredibly important in research already, um, sort of irregardless of how it was used in games, uh, but, and, and is very important and, and will be important going forward. Uh, and virtual reality or Australia, I mean, you, we see it in things like medical sciences, uh, you know, it makes, it makes a big difference. And I think, I think they're very powerful for education. And I mean, we're going to get into talking about, you know, games and education, but, you know, something that's always going to excite uh, young people is, is using the, the latest technologies, uh, you know, that that's part of drawing people in and, and can, and really help, you know, supplement the sort of educational material, you know, get people interested in the first place. Yeah, um, these technologies are like being first used by gaming and now they've reached a point where they can branch out to other fields. Just as you said, there's like the forefront of virtual reality right now is games. But um, in the past, internet was just the forefront of US military. Now it's much broader tool. So it's like it starts from one place, it develops there and then it branches out further. Let's talk about your contributions to gaming now. You design games. Have you ever designed a game with a focus on learning and education? Yeah, so I've, I've been in the last, uh, you know, three or four years, I've, I've started working a little bit more in that field. I've worked quite closely with a, a colleague, Claire Murray, who is a, a scientist, was formerly a scientist at the Diamond Light Source in the UK. So that's a synchrotron where I'd actually, I had done some research during my PhD. Uh, and together with her and Mark Basham and other scientists at Diamond, we developed a board game about the synchrotron called Diamond the Board Game uh, with the intention of distributing a physical board game to students uh, in high schools in the UK. Uh, it's a, it has a couple of purposes. Uh, one is to educate uh, students as to the, the nature of the science, that, the research that can be done at the synchrotron, the very broad nature of that, you know, so it's from chemistry, chemistry biology, but also to things like history and heritage. So there are people looking up you know, dating various, uh, you know, archaeological um, objects or, or cultural objects uh, using the synchrotron. And the other part of the, the game that was important was uh, trying to give uh, students by playing the game direct experience or at least an idea of what it's like to actually be a scientist. What is it like to actually work as a scientist? You know, we have a lot of images uh, in, in popular culture or in, in our mind of what, what being a scientist is, but the kind of day-to-day -day or, or what is it like to go to a, a synchrotron and actually do an experiment. And so in playing the game, we're trying to give players that feeling of a little bit of risk, uh, a little bit of, um, you know, collaboration, how important collaboration is in science, how, how you're trying to, sometimes you're trying to really push yourself hard to get the most data in a short period of time. Uh, and, and we use kind of quite simplified me mechanisms that, that mean that anybody can play, but, but trying to give them that feeling. 
And I think that's that's the really crucial thing about uh, games, but especially tabletop games. They're experiential. They put the player in the role. They cast them in a particular role and ask them to make decisions as if they were in that role. And I think that's so powerful in order to transfer, you know, knowledge, but also um, insight into what a particular experience or, or task or job in the world is. Uh, and, and then, you know, a few other, you know, one other main thing I also did with Claire Murray was a uh, pop-up escape room. So this was at the Dublin Maker Fest uh, and it ran for just one day. Uh, and essentially uh, it was called uh, the periodic maze. So it was, uh, it was during the year of the International Year of the Periodic Table. And we were trying to educate uh, sometimes quite young children that sort of the age group was sort of like six to 12 years old um, about the periodic table. What, what does it actually mean? Because again, I think the periodic table is one of the most recognizable symbols of science in, in popular culture. I think most people, even if they don't really have any scientific background, they would recognize the periodic table. But how does that actually connect to reality? You know, when you look at a little box and it says FE, how do I connect that to something that's real and physical, like, you know, a nail or something that's, that's made of iron? So we were trying to, first and foremost, just to connect uh, like that very abstract notion of the table to reality, but also to highlight, uh, the other nice thing we're able to do through experience is to highlight uh, an Irish crystallographer, female crystallographer called Helen McGaw, who was incredibly influential, um, but unfortunately much, much like a lot of female scientists is, is sort of not very well remembered in history. And so we were trying to highlight her contributions. Um, she did things like she did some very seminal work on the structure of ice. So you might know that ice has many different crystal structures when it freezes. And she did some of the, mo the pioneering work uh, during the 20th century uh, into the structure of ice, so very early. Uh, a lot of people might know sort of the Braggs, for example, maybe. Um, who were the you know, developers of X-ray diffraction, but she was, uh, you know, very much in, you know, colleagues of the Braggs and, and it's not sort of remembered the same, same degree. But anyway, so this experience, uh, we, we try to use this escape room format, which has more sort of puzzles uh, and there's a little bit more of an open environment to get people to, to sort of experiment, to play, uh, but also hopefully make connections between things in the real world and the periodic table. And yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I've really enjoyed it. I, I've enjoyed sort of mixing my two, you know, passions or, or areas of expertise, I guess. And I think, it, you know, generally it's been quite effective. And, and there's many, many examples of this around the world. Like by far, the work I'm doing is not, you know, I'm not the only person, uh, you know, combining games and, and education. Uh, and I'd also say, you know, just as a sort of a, a bit of a shout out, I guess, uh, to a professor, uh, Scott Nicholson, uh, who's based in Canada, uh, or, and was based in the US for, for much of his career. He's done a lot of work on gamification in education, but also uh, escape rooms for education, um, has written some really interesting papers. He was behind the Red Bull escape room, like kind of global yeah. challenge. Uh, you know, he does some really interesting work and uh, I'd, I'd encourage your listeners to, to check out uh, him as well. Yeah, even the CEV Open team, uh, which is building dictionaries and tools to gain interfer uh, inferences from bulk scientific literature, and which I'm proud to be working with, is trying to employ gamification to accelerate uh, learning and is developing the Aroma game, taking inspiration actually from one of your games. That's true, yeah. No, I've, I've also evolved with, with Open Virus or Tangentially. We have a, a related project called Open Battery, which is trying to find electrochemical data uh, from, from the literature. Uh, yeah, and, and with Peter Murray-Rust, um, 
you know, or Peter's pushing a lot of it and, and, and working with, with others. Uh, but I think that we're, you know, so trying to develop kind of experience to, to put people again, to understand, I mean, it's a bit different to understand it, really a digital experience, an algorithm, uh, or, you know, how do you understand how these programs are actually, you know, automatically identifying and searching for particular topics in the literature. But how do you do that maybe with a group of participants who aren't, you know, who aren't, you know, coders or they're not, they're not necessarily in, you know, computer science or, or, or these sort of fields, but they are very knowledgeable in other scientific aspects. So how do you sort of, uh, you know, bridge the gap in, in expertise levels? And I think, I think it'll be a really interesting experience um, and I hope, I hope it'll go well. I would also uh, like to talk about Foldit because I think when talking about gamification, Foldit is a topic we can't uh, we can't go without. It's, it's it's generally the app people consider people associate gamification with. So let's chat a bit about Foldit. Yeah, I'll also throw. I guess the other one I would throw in is Galaxy Zoo. I think you know alongside Foldit, I think those two were the, the really the. I guess that, you know, the, the first examples in, in this way, and I, I'd almost say still to this point, the most successful. Um, I have to admit, it's, it's, it's slightly outside of my expertise, um, both in terms of the actual science um, and in terms of this idea of gamification. But, but maybe the first thing to talk about slightly is gamification, because we haven't really exactly addressed it necessarily. I think the thing about gamification, I mean, generally is using game-like mechanics to encourage certain behaviors or to encourage, you know, a particular learning objective. Um, in, for the case of Folded in Galaxy Zoo, that's, act, it, you know, that's actually changed to a research objective. You know, we need to perform these particular tasks in order to create, you know, to, to get data or to analyze existing data. I think the, the key thing, um, in my opinion, about gamification, though, is that you, it needs to, uh, it can't replace completely something that, that people are not interested at all about. You're not gonna get, gamification is not gonna change somebody's opinion to do something that they, they actively hate or that they, uh, that, you know, that they possess. It, it, it doesn't change opinions, but it, it, can, it can sort of, you know, smooth the way uh, towards, you know, particular behaviors that you wanna encourage. And maybe people know that it, it's a good thing to do, but they're not, they're not sort of, engaged with or, or it's not something they're reminded to do on sort of a daily basis or regularly and, and of course points and leaderboards and things like that can, can sort of encourage various behaviors as we've seen in, in the gaming world you know that that there's already a, a very precise science about how to control behavior through various rewards uh you know if you look at the kind of free-to-play app games there's there's you know a candy crush for example you know there there's a very precise science about how do i met out my rewards at, over very particular time intervals to encourage, in that case, to encourage the people to pay the most money for the, for the game. But, you know, for education, it would be how do I structure my game so that I, I get people participating as often as I can. And I think, I think the key actual discovery, in a way, of Folded and Galaxy Zoo is that how much an average citizen is interested in science and does want to contribute to a great research effort. They want to contribute meaningfully beyond just, you know, reading about science or, or, you know, looking at popular science books or things like that. They want to get involved themselves. They want to be involved in the research and, they, and, and they're happy to kind of like take their gloves off and get into the thick of it, you know, the, the kind of the, the, the complexities and things like Folder and Galaxies who allowed them to, you know, it gave, you know, the gamification gave people a very easy way into that experience. And then, you know, they, they kept, those who kept going and playing 
you know, that's that's both a case of the well-designed game part of it, but also I think it speaks to their interest that already existed or or was sort of ignited in science and in scientific research through that through the game. So I think when we talk about gamification, we shouldn't forget that it it's sometimes it's harnessing something that you know it's usually harnessing something that's already in its participants. Um, you know, in, in the case of your financial literacy app, I think you know. I'm sure a lot of young people are, are actually very interested in money. You know, they, they are interested in, in investing and, and, and understanding how they, you know, become wealthy or how, how they can, uh, you know, manage things like taxes or, or things like that. It's not, it's not that they're completely disinterested or not, but they just don't have an easy way into that. They don't have, and they don't, their behavior isn't set in such a way that they will keep acquiring knowledge or they'll keep engaging with that topic necessarily in their day-to-day lives. And through gamification, like your app, it means that, that gives them both that, that easy way into the, the topic um, and also kind of gives them the incentives to keep coming back and keep learning. Um, you know, obviously, you know, the, 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 on that scale is, is something like school, like formal education, you know, that, that in, in a way, uh, you know, in, makes its participants, you know, develop kind of learned behaviors. Like you go to school every day and you expect that you're going to sit in classes and you are used to acquiring knowledge. And, and whether that's effective or not, it, it you know it kind of trains that behavior in its students. And and gamification and app that's just a different approach to that same idea. It's how do I reward somebody to keep coming back each day? You know, school you're kind of forced to go, but can can you do it in a different way? Um, and so I think uh, you know uh, you know Folded and Galaxy Zoo did a great job in in allowing people you know to you know encourage citizen science. I think that's that's an amazing thing and. And, and it has, you know, it's opened up the field for lots of different efforts along that way. Uh, yeah. yeah, I completely agree with what you said. Candy Crush is, is a great example of how uh, games affect behavior. If we employ the same, the same kind of idea to better fields instead of Candy Crush, like education, trying to employ the same kind of behavior science, Khan Academy took the whole concept of behavioral science and gaming and combine that to really accelerate learning. And this is really uh, a very good real world example. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's you know, you're reminded of the, the quote, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. I think it is in a way, it's even scary how much, how a, a well-designed game can exert over behavior as you talked about your friends with Candy Crush. And I, and I just hope as, as the field goes on is that, you know, that those, you know, because, make no mistake, these same behavior things are going to go into, you know, the commercial world. They're going to be, you know, to, to train consumer behavior and things like this and, and already are. So I just hope, and I hope in, especially in say in educational citizen science, that that kind of those addictive qualities, which I'd say are the, the more kind of pernicious parts of that, I would hope that they would be more harnessed to, to you know, initiate curiosity uh, or, or, or like depth of learning uh, and and you know love of a particular topic you know as 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 you know academics do in some way that's that's in some ways they're kind of addicted to learning about a particular field uh, and and I would just hope that you know that these you know the, these efforts would be just mindful of that mindful of not creating addiction for the sake of feeding into a platform or or feeding activity within a platform but but rather using that kind of addictive quality but towards real education and real, you know, learning and growth and to just be mindful of that, I would say.
uh, actually the information that they're getting is in some ways very powerful. You're getting a very powerful insight into the human psyche. It's just how, how you use that. Uh, and as you, yeah, as, as for the example of the game in India, yeah, it can have very, you know, yeah, very different, you know, bad consequences. I mean, and, and I guess on the other, you know, or you could have something like Pokemon Go, which yes, in some ways was quite addictive, um, but it, I think it led to a generally pretty positive community experience. There was, because it was about bringing people together in a, phys you know, a physical space, it wasn't about, you know, being solitary, uh, you know, with your phone or something like that. So. Yeah. Anyway, it's a where I, I you know it, it's such a huge topic and it's it's far beyond what you could have in a you know even an hour conversation. But uh, it's it's always interesting and, and hopefully more people I think just question you know why is something working this way, uh, especially as we we start to use it in in science and education. Yeah, I completely agree. Citizens often overlook um, the importance of their data and how their behavior is being manipulated by games and why apps are apps are requiring permissions. I mean, this is a bit off topic, but I think that's generally what users should be sensitized about. To be honest, this is one of the reasons I started this podcast to generally bring uh, and divert more attention towards these topics. So coming to almost the end segment of the podcast, I think it's easy to think about employing gamification to fields, but it's much harder to actually come up with uh, concepts that drive this process. I mean, simply adding points won't make boring things interesting. Even tests have points and they sort of are boring. So how can students like me and teachers employ concepts of games to empower learning? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, you make a very good point that, uh, as we said, adding, <laughs> adding points is not going to change somebody's experience and it's not going to teach them anything, you know. Yeah, uh, it's just going to teach people to game the system. <laughs> realistically, uh, I think I think it ultimately comes down to realizing what what do game what can games do beyond other forms of education? Because of course, it's one tool amongst a whole many lot of tools that educators can to make. And I, I come back to what I said before that games give their participants the ability to directly make decisions and and to be placed in a role and experience what that's like. That's the most powerful thing about games. And unlike some other educational aspects or when you think about doing a test, the nice thing about games is it, it often done well, it can connect educational concepts or, or knowledge to, to real world consequences or situations. It allows you to feel like that there's a, you know, a practical uh, component to what you're learning and really understanding like, what, you know, why is this important? Well, actually the game can tell you because it can put you straight into a situation where with that knowledge that you've just learned, that will help you make a better decision. You know, with your financial app, now that you've learned about investing, well, when you learn about inflation, now you'll, you'll, if I give you this amount of, you know, virtual currency, you can make positive decisions in order to make sure, you know, to sort of maximize the wealth of that. Um, and it also allows, I think, because it's experiential, it also allows people to make mistakes. I think the thing because there's a lot of educational power in, in making a mistake and, and, and then understanding, you know, what were the consequences of that mistake? Maybe how did you misapply your knowledge to make that decision or what, what went into making that particular decision or, or making that particular application of knowledge? Unfortunately, in education generally, there's generally not much of a, an idea of, try, of failing. You know, you're, you're very much encouraged not to fail. 
uh, you know, you're encouraged that there is there is only you know that there's one answer, and and you know you just have to get that answer, and you and you should always be trying to do that first time. Uh, games, because they're a little bit closer to to real life experiences, um, in some sometimes it, it, you know in games there is no one right answer. You know, it depends what the other players are doing or how you're interacting with each other. Um, and it's natural that in different parts of the games that you know in every game there's always going to be well if it's a competitive game there'll always be a winner and there'll always be a loser. But it's perfectly fine to be a loser. That's not it's it's not a judge to call that. That's just part of the structure of the game. And there's things to be learned in that experience. And I'd I'd say that's that's also kind of a powerful. I mean, that's a bit more of a general point about games, but because it allows you to try things and possibly fail. In in the synchrotron game, we the diamond the board game, uh, players may do experiments, and their experiments can fail sometimes. Um, and they they don't get as much uh, advancement towards particular scientific projects. But, but that's normal. You're going to fail at least once or twice during the game. It's, it's usually going to happen. Uh, you can't control it. It's, it's, you, know, uh, you, you, you can have some control. You can choose how much risk you're going to take on when you're doing your experiment, but, but ultimately it's, it's out of your hands. And a lot of uh, participants who came out of the game, we, we got a lot of uh, sort of responses from people who played and what they, we asked them some questions before and after. And one thing that came out of it is that they... They, they realize that failing is normal as a scientist. Like scientists fail a lot. Um, and I think that actually was incredibly powerful thing to come out of that experience that people realize that, that scientists aren't these sort of perfect beings in white coats that you know, think up amazing theories and, and, and develop amazing technologies. That, that does happen sometimes, but the journey towards that involves a lot of failure. And if you want to be a scientist, you have to realize that's just normal. It's not, a, it's not a judgment on you as a person or as a scientist. That's just part of the job. And games, and, and because, again, you were experiencing that role directly and you were making choices and you could feel the failure, you experienced the failure as part of the game. You weren't told about it in a class. You weren't told, oh, scientists will fail sometimes. That's very different to, I was a scientist in the game and, and I failed. Um, you know, it has a different impact on, on people. So I think that's, as long as education is, educators uh, remember that those strengths so play to the strengths of what games can do and I think you'll have the best chance and of course that it's just one part of the many tools you know I wouldn't I would never say that games should be the only thing that you use to, to teach a topic but it's a great way to to you know diversify how you're learning about something phenomenal I think technology will like uh, it always has been complement research in science and games can and will become a strong medium in this whole relationship. With this, I would like to end this episode. It was a great pleasure talking to you, Matthew. You can catch Matthew on his live streams at twitch.tv slash mtdunstan. You can also read more about Aroma Game and FinLearn at techaffair.in slash ttp that is t-e-c-h-a-f-f-a-i-r dot i-n slash ttp no thanks very much Ayush. it's been a pleasure and i should say if anyone wants to ever ask me i'm, I'm also on twitter a lot i'm at wise goldfish or one word uh, that's that's where i'm normally at so yeah thanks very much uh, it was great to great to chat with you thank you my listeners i hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as i have Let's continue on this fascinating journey of technology with Tech Titan. In my next episode, I'll be talking about data science and how we can make good use of these numbers for betterment of the individual and the society. See you again.